You're listening to Master Your Magic, a travel podcast following the wild tales and transformations of some of the greatest adventures today. Welcome back, everyone, to the Master Your Travel podcast. Yes, the name has been changed, but it is still under the Master Your Magic umbrella. I have somebody that I'm so excited we finally are connecting today. It actually took us quite a while to be able to nail this damn episode down. So let me introduce the infamous Sarah. Sarah believes that our connection to nature is vital. So she set out to capture the ways in which people discover and strengthen that relationship. Sarah has spent much time chasing life experiences over a traditional career path. She spent one month alone walking the ridges of the Sierra Nevada, one week marooned in the pitch black cave with no food, water, or light, five months solo backpacking, 1,800 miles through the New Zealand wilderness, and most recently spent 21 days in the isolated Alaska range, climbing her way to the top of the tallest mountain in North America, Denali. She she photographically, I'm sorry, we're going to get into all that, girl. She photographically documents every aspect of these pursuits in hopes that sharing stories will inspire people to similarly explore their relationship to nature society, and themselves. In the fall of 2019, Sarah co-founded AdventureFit, a company who aims to inspire, educate, and guide individuals in a group setting to overcome nature challenges. That bio, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) I can't, I cannot even with you. So I'm really excited to dive in and kind of like pick your brain on all of the things that were mentioned there. Sarah, I'm going to hand it over to you briefly so that you can just say hello to everybody and introduce yourself. Amazing. Hey, everyone. Um, As Myla so eloquently described, my name is Sarah. Um, I am an explorer. I am a professional photographer and recently started a company who I try to or I do. Sorry. (laughs) Can we cut that out? Oh God! Oh God! I love it. Sarah told me earlier. She's like, I I don't do camera, and I'm like, I I don't want. I'm bad at like recording things. I was like, girl, like this is a travel podcast, and anything goes. And like, you know, I I like that you're like, you know, not perfect on you know video or whatever. I think everybody's gonna love you perfectly. So you you just go with it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I, as I spent most of my life chasing obscure. Uh, experiences and have just found such beauty and goodness in that. And so I've kind of dedicated my life to not only continue to have those experiences for myself, but also to inspire other people to have them as well. Because it's really easy to sit behind a screen and watch other people live life and to think that it's impossible for you to do so. But it just requires a just a subtle mind shift change to realize that like, hey, everybody can have these experiences. And at some point in your life, everyone should have just a crazy nature experience, 100%. I have actually like a bunch of questions for what you just said, but I want to start. First of all, I have a comment actually, (laughs) because I love what you just said, but also some of the shit that you have done, I would never, ever do. And I kind of pride myself on being like a like adventurous, 
I like to go out there and do crazy experiences, but you are on like a very different level than just like going out and having an adventurous experience. This is like this girl, obviously everyone's going to find out, but like you, you are on the opposite end of the spectrum. You are like the most <laughs> badass person I might know. So I'm going to start by saying that. And then my question for you is like, you, you said in that um, when you were just talking, like you have to make the decision to be like that. So what I want to know is, did you start off as like young little Sarah like this? Or were you like, okay, I need to get out there and experience the world. And so it was actually a choice that you made. Um, I think, well, I grew up in a, in a perspective of like, I saw a lot of like sadness around me. I would look a lot to adults. Like I was really scared of talking. I've always been very shy. And so I just like from a very young age, just kind of like fell into this like wallflower state. You know, I didn't really participate in life around me too much. I was just like painfully, painfully shy, but I was very, I was smart. You know, I had so many questions, but I was so afraid to ask for the answers that I would just try to figure everything out through observation. And so I would just like look at all the adults around me and just see like a lot of sadness. So a lot of people who were towards the end of their life feeling like they never really lived their life. And even from a young age, like I, I had enough wherewithal to like know that people who are older than me, like know more than me for sure. And so like I would, I was obsessed with like books of like collections of wisdom from people who were old and have lived these fabulous lives or maybe not fabulous lives. Like what does the older generation, like what do they have to say? And so the most common theme of course was just that like to maybe live life a little bit differently. Don't always do what you're told in terms of like a societal standard, like as hard as it may seem at the time, but at the end of the day, like what's going to be important to you are the relationships that you create and the world that you live in and how to explore it. And there's just, and how to connect to just like your body. And so from a very young age, just those kind of mind, that mindset was, was, I don't know, brought into me, you know, from one way or the other. And so I, and also just like seeing people around me unhappy, I'd be like, I don't want to be like that. Like, I love these people, but you know, maybe there's a different road for me. And so, because I was so That's painfully so shy. I, yeah. <laughs> totally. Right. And That's so, really um, like magical. That's a completely different way of looking at the world than like any other kid I've ever heard. Most kids like do what they're told and they don't ask questions. Like even though you said you didn't ask questions, but they they don't even think of the question to ask. They just do what they're told. Yeah, absolutely. And like no and to no fault of them. Like that's what it, it is to be a kid. I just I don't know. There, there's something. There's always been something like different about me, and I've I've always kind of criticized it in a way. Um, and it hasn't been until like more recently in my life where I've like really embraced these like oddities that I have about myself. Um, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I like that. And, I like um, that a lot. I'm also still learning to like embrace my oddities as well. And I think sometimes it can be really hard in a world where. We're only just recently starting to appreciate being unique and having a voice and like, you know, being able to share with people like what you actually feel, what you actually think. Um, it's hard. It's totally hard. So, yeah, I definitely feel that. Absolutely. And because I decided to go like a non-traditional path with my life, you know, every single time I was met with a decision, like I would kind of feel like I was making the wrong decision you know, based off of like a societal pressure or you have to be at a certain point by a certain time. And so 
it's just so funny because like even like half of those experiences that you listed like before I was like about to embark on it I was you know like is this the right thing like should I be focusing on something else and you know a lot of that stuff felt very selfish to me at the time and but a little voice in my head was just like do it go for it like you're young explore and then something will come of it because that's just the person that I am like I seek meaning in everything that I do almost to a fault like sometimes it's hard for me to like just lighten up and like let loose because I'm always like, well, what does this mean? And like, how does it help other people? And like, you know, just have such a di- desire to like take like my unique perspective and what is my richness and to, I don't know, like manipulate it in such a way that can benefit people around me. And because that's the perspective that, that I've taken, it's almost hard to monetarily assign that value. And so because of that, I've worked like more odd end jobs and having like a traditional career. And then somewhere in the mix of that, like I've always loved photography because from, like I said, from a young age, like I hated talking, but like I loved seeing, like I would just like look at the world around me and I want, would want to capture it. Cause I would see all these adults like ignoring something that I thought was beautiful. And so the only way for me to like understand it was to photograph it and to like hold on to it, to capture it. And that, that passion actually started before I had the passion for nature. And so like I was a photographer from a very, very, very young age, like even with just like disposable cameras and like rolls of film, spending all my allowance at CVS to get things developed. Um, And then that just naturally evolved. And then at one point, at some point, like my nature love developed and I'm not going to go further into that at some point, but then those two things married. And I was like, well, this is how I share. This is how I like get people to, to understand like, at least from my perspective, like what richness there is in the world and how that can make everybody's lives better from like the top CEO to, you know, to anybody. And there's nobody's in this world who is not affected by connecting more to their humanity through nature. I completely agree. And uh, for anybody listening who hasn't checked out your photography yet, it's insane you you all have to understand what she's really saying and she probably would never say this about herself so i will say it for her she is talking about photography where like she's hanging off the edge of a cliff taking a fucking photo or something like this, this it's like not it's really beautiful and there she does uh, like other photography too but a lot of it is like really like just like the photos that like most people don't capture and she's out there getting that shot it's like the places that are untouched in the world the things that most people the paths most people won't walk the the places people won't climb um because it's either too hard or too scary or there's fear and sarah goes out there and not only does the the trek but also is capturing it through her lens. Um, so I just wanted to preface that and let people know like what exactly you're talking about in your photography. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, so it, it's, you it's places, say, but... oh. go ahead. You're good. Yeah, no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say like, it's those underrepresented <laughs> places that I think the cameras needed the most. Right. I mean, every, I think everybody in their life should go through a photography phase or to experiment with photography because it's really just an experiment in your own vision. It's an experiment in how you see the world and it puts emphasis on it, right? It's like you pay attention more to the world around you. And by, by doing that, it's an inward expression as well. And so it's like, how do you Check see the world around out. you? <laughs> I just got a camera. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I don't girl. know what I'm doing, but I am freaking excited about to. this thing. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, I, it's a, it's a lot of it's just like, on, 
Yeah. Everything's on automatic settings right now, but I am still like, fuck yes, I'm a photographer. So it's, it's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's so, oh great. that's so great. Showing, showing off my toy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I want to know, Sarah, what was the first like little adventure you went on? Like the first like thing, whether it was like when you were a little kid or when you got older, but what was the first time that you were like, I'm going to do this off the beaten path thing? So the first, the very first thing that comes to mind was just like the first time that I reached awareness that life could be different. And it seems, I'll describe it, but it's going to sound very simple, but it was just like a very simple shift. And sometimes it's all that you need is a little seed. I remember being in the seventh grade and attending um, a family vacation with um, somebody else's family. Um, and then in order to do that, I had to leave school a day early. And that day early was an important day at school. It was like election day, you know, and um, there was, it, I was very like involved with like student council and stuff like that. And so at the time that was like the biggest thing that was happening was like the end of the world. If so-and-so got picked or didn't get picked, it was a whole battle of the school. And, um, I like spent so much time like totally consumed in it. Like I made flyers, I like did everything that you could possibly do as like a young person, like in that scenario. Um, and then I went on this, I ended up leaving that election completely and going to, I think it was like Laguna beach. And I didn't really, I grew up in Las Vegas. And so the beach has always been kind of foreign to me, but very cool. And I remember waking up at like five o'clock in the morning on that Saturday while the family was asleep. And I just walked out to the beach and I remember thinking that this is, there's something magical about that current moment, how I just stepped away from the chaos that I was experiencing at school for a moment. And then I was just like, this is so peaceful. This is so calm. And there was something very subtle about that experience that I just like, my awareness just like totally opened in that moment that I was like, I can, I always have the opportunity to step away from like whatever is seemingly large or difficult in life or just surrounding you and then it was just I felt so cradled like on that beach and it was a very subtle nature experience but it was I don't know like it's like I said it sounds so simple but there was just something really beautiful about that moment how like at the time like what seemingly was so important in my life like instantly was just like that's not important literally at all not even I'm not even remember any of those people years from now what's important is my feet in the sand this ocean the seagulls it was overcast that day. And so the lighting made it hard to determine like the time of day it was, even though it was early, I felt fully awake. And I was like, there's something here and I don't know what it is. And so that was just a really beautiful moment of awareness for me, for sure. But I would not I would say, say that that sounds simple. I feel like some of the most deepest, most profound moments that we have in our life are the most simple, you know? Totally. So I totally hear you and I've ha I know the feeling you're talking about because when you were talking, I felt like I was there for a sec. I felt like I could feel it and like mm -hmm. I know that feeling, that feeling of complete serenity and feeling just complete oneness with the planet and everything beyond and you yourself and like the, your human skin suit that you're wearing and just like everything in alignment. So I, I really love that you shared that. Yeah. And it's, it's something I didn't even really think about until recently. It's just one of those memories that kind of like pops in my brain and I'll always remember it. It was just very, it was a very subtle moment, but just one that I felt like 
whatever spirit entered my body at that moment has not left. It was just like, Hey, there's going to, there's going to be a different life. And, that, and that's, and that's going to be okay. The spirit that entered your body was you girl. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> ah, I love it. Um, okay. So this is one thing I want to switch gears just a little, but it's, you know, obviously along the same transformational line, but I have to let everybody know. So I met Sarah uh, like what, four years ago, five years ago, something like that. And, um, she told me the most crazy story. And of course, you know, like we met cause we both live in Los Angeles, but she said she had auditioned for this freaking show where, and you, and you're going to tell this, you'll probably tell it better than me, but it was sort of like, a uh, um, not like naked and afraid, but one of those shows where you're like stuck in a place that you're like having to figure something out. But I guess you were like in a, I thought you were like in a sewer or a cave or something in the dark and you had no food, no water, and you had to like find a person and it was a reality show, right? Yeah. You tell everybody like what the hell that was about because that right there I when you told me that I was like, oh my god, I don't know who this person is. But one, she's a badass. Two, I would never fucking do that. And three, <laughs> like that, it's that it just blew my mind. It sounded so scary. So let everybody know what the hell that was. Like. Yeah, totally. So in uh, 2017, I think it was, I just said yes to a random opportunity, and the opportunity was to be a part of a survival experiment for the Discovery Channel. Um, so they were, they did, they did a very blind casting and I didn't know it was for the discovery channel at the time. They were just looking for female survivalists aged like 30 to 50. Um, and, and that was pretty much it. And then someone like tagged me on Facebook and I was like, Oh, at the time I wasn't 30. So I was like, Oh, I don't even fit that profile. But then one thing led to another, the casting director like reached out to me personally. I was like, Hey, you seem really interesting. Let's, let's get you on the show. And so I went through this whole, like, several month process of like psychological evaluations and physical evaluations and, and um, I don't know, just them trying to learn about who I was so that they could potentially put me into this scenario. And the only thing that they told me there was, they said, you're going to be alone in the dark for six days. Yes or no. And I was just like, you know what? Oh this God. sounds so odd and so crazy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Let's go. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> I, before this, before this show started, I had gone on like one of my first backpacking trips and that backpacking trip, um, I didn't really know a lot. And that ended up in search and rescue. It was like me and three other people. And it was like this whole crazy experience. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing, but I was very oh, forthcoming shit. to people about it. Like they invited me and they're like, Hey, do you want to come what backpacking with us? I was like, yeah, sure. Of course. Let's go. Um, but I don't know anything. I've never backpacked before. I don't even have any gear. And they're like, that's fine. We have all the gear Just show up. And I'm like, great. And so it was in the middle of August and we were <laughs> backpacking somewhere in the Angeles forest. And um, they were like, don't bring that much water. We're going to have, you know, rivers and streams and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, great. And so we get there and it's middle of August, like 2014 or something like that, 2015, when it's like the biggest drought the state has ever seen. And of course, literally yeah, going through a drought. Dry. Yeah. <sighs> and so we didn't have any water. It was like a hundred over a hundred degrees. And so um the two the two guys that I was with, one of them started slipping into shock from dehydration and just like not able to push his body. 
And we, in addition to that, we got lost and we were like off trail. We had no idea where we were. And this guy's like trying to look up directions on his iPhone. And I'm like, okay, clearly these guys don't actually know what they're doing. Um, and n- neither do I. So here we are. <laughs> and so I was like fine <laughs> enough. And so I, I wasn't to the point at all of feeling like I was dehydrated, but I wasn't dying. I was, I was okay. And like, right before I left, I bought a book on wilderness survival. I was like, let's learn. And of course I only read like the first page cause you know, life. And then the very first thing on the first page, it said like the biggest, like the, the way to survive any situation is to believe that you will to see any potential obstacle as just that an obstacle and not the end. And so that's the piece of equipment. Like that was the 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 thought that I had that I equipped myself with going into that trip. And so when I could see very clearly that one person was like slipping in a shock and the other guy had no idea what to do and he was physically exhausted, I was like, okay, okay, this is just an obstacle. It's totally fine. We'll get through it. And so like keeping that kind of like (laughs) mentality, like I grabbed all of our phones and like hiked to like the highest point that I could find, like through like thorny bushes to get to the summit. And then I was able to like get out um, like service on one phone not completely like i dialed 911 but it didn't get out but then somehow it rerouted to a local sheriff station and they were able to call my phone and so i was able to get um rescue for us to get out of the wilderness wow. um and so That's that experience was crazy <laughs> yeah and so that experience was um really formative for me because it was incredibly embarrassing um, you know, I was on the phone with the helicopter pilot and he was like, where are you? And I was like, I don't know. And, I was, and they were like, what forest are you in? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I just like, so like showed up with nothing, you know? And so it was like, so embarrassing to me to utilize, you know, such a high level service basically because we didn't know what we were doing. Like we were those stereotypical people that you read about in the papers about being dumb, ignorant, whatever. And so it was just, I went into like a small depression after that happened, you know, because of how ill-equipped I was to take care of myself and people I cared about. Um, and so, but it was a catalyst for me. Like instead of running from that experience, I ran towards it. You know, I learned literally everything I could possibly learn about wilderness survival from like basics, like starting a fire to like how to communicate, you know, how to like just everything. Like I took classes, I read books, I watched YouTube videos. Like at the time there wasn't too much out there in terms of survival TV. Um, and of course that's all TV, but I just did everything that I could to learn navigation and like by the stars or a compass or just everything. I went crazy. And then this opportunity came along to, um, potentially do this show. And so I was, I was sheepish. I was like, yeah, like I, I'll do it. But also like, I feel like, I don't I don't know if I can, but you know what, why not? Let's go. And then, so, um, I had done a few things to kind of like get myself to a point that made me feel better. So that first backpacking trip had ended in search and rescue. And so my third backpacking trip, I decided to hike the John Muir trail, which is a 220 mile trail that starts in Yosemite Valley and ends at Mount Whitney, which is the tallest mountain in uh, the lower U S. And so like to kind of prove to myself that I wasn't the same person that I had learned. I did that whole thing by myself and survived for, the month long Whoa. that I was out there and thrived in that scenario. And so coming off that experience, um, the show seemed interesting to me. And so I was like, okay, like I spent a lot of time like practicing skills and being alone and being in weird situations. And also 
like at that point, like I was just trying to say yes to every cool life experience that I could like to kind of fall into that, this mindset that I have about living life in general. And so I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Like that sounds interesting. But at the same time, like I had this like self-conscious thought about myself. It's just like, I'm not a very dramatic person. Like I, I do cool things and I have cool experiences, but I'm not the person who's been like throwing things across the room for drama or like causing a scene or if anything, like I, I'm very like even keeled and mellow and too humble at times, I'm sure about my experiences. And so I was like, they'll never pick me. Um, but I just was like, no, Sarah, like don't, don't make the decision for them. Like show up completely as you are. And if it's what they're looking for, it, it is. And if it's not, that's fine. Like it's a come and go kind of thing. And then so one thing led to another and I was sitting there all alone in the pitch blackness of a cave and with, oh my with God. not a lot. And so I'm like, okay, I am here. <laughs> I have arrived. Uh, what, uh, what does not a lot entail? Like, what did they give you? So um, they just said to show up in like a hiking outfit. So I was wearing just like boots, oh long pants, and like a very thin long sleeve shirt. And I had a very light jacket. And um, they gave me a backpack. And then they gave me a helmet. And then I was wearing a chest mounted GoPro. And the helmet had a little strip of infrared light that was undetectable to my eyes. However, the cameras could pick it up. So that was the way they could film it and they could see me. And so I can't see anything. I can't see my hand in front of my face. Um, and it's it's like I can't overemphasize how dark it was. The like literally no speck of light. I've never seen anything that dark before. And for that, or I didn't even see it. I don't know. I don't know how to describe that. <laughs> um, and so in the backpack was about like ten feet of paracord. They gave me like elbow pads, knee pads, and then there was two packets of emergency water. I think there was like maybe four ounces each in there, and no food, nothing else. That's it. Um, I think I might have had a knife. Um, and then they put me in the cave and then they spun me around and then they left. And then, um, <laughs> and so they they said, I might find other people. I might find caches of food and supplies and that my movements were my responsibility. And so I'm just like, <laughs> okay, let's go. Let's do this. Like, I signed up up here and I was so nervous. I was so nervous because I'm like, not only am I like in this extremely vulnerable position, but I'm also like potentially going to be seen by thousands and thousands of people. Like if I make a dumb mistake, for sure, they're going to emphasize it. It's reality TV. Like they're going to play it up. Totally. And so everything that I did, I was just like, I'm like, I can't see anything, but I felt like the world could see me. And so it was like this incredible, like vulnerable place to be in for sure. But um, Did, through, through um the whole was there like any sort of oh was it was there any sort of like goal or anything like what was there like you have to make it to this thing by this time or like was there any sort of like thing to do or just find the food totally, and maybe yes. find a person um, yeah so the idea was that it's like a maze cave and so I had to find my way out of the cave and then I had six days to do so and then if I didn't get out within six days and I would lose or it would be over and they would extract me. And there was no That's like intense. cash prize <laughs> for that or anything like that. It's not like if you get out in a certain amount of time, you win a million dollars. No, it wasn't anything like that. There was no money involved. Like they paid me very minimally for my time. 
but it wasn't like this is just purely for someone who was interested in this crazy experience. It wasn't like, oh, just hang in there and you'll get a bunch of money. Like it wasn't like that at all. It's like, hey, come suffer, and then that's it. <laughs> and so and that you was were that totally was really down. I love that, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, let's go. But you know what? It's like, without getting into too much detail of the actual cave itself yet, like that, I can very confidently say that some of the biggest life lessons and the most beautiful life lessons I've ever received have been from that experience because it was so unique. You have to share them. What were they? That many people like get to have. It's like, it's this crazy thing. And, um, you know, like, I mean, for someone like you, who's like incredibly intuitive with your own body and, and stuff like that, like it's, it took me a while to get to that point. And it's like the cave, like very quickly on became like an extension of my mind. You know, I felt like when I was walking through the corridors of the cave, like I was quite literally just exploring my my, my own mind. Um, Cause like when you can't see anything, like your brain finds new ways of seeing. And one thing that I did a lot to prepare for the experience was sensory deprivation tanks. And so I spent a lot of time, like hours of time, just like in a float lab floating, like to get used to what it's like to not have anything, at least like mentally. And on my last like, float lab experience before that I went there, like my, I actually started to see, like I actually started to see like light, even though I knew it wasn't there. Like my brain was making it up. And I was just like so consciously aware of what my brain was doing to, you know, fill the void for the lack of physical vision. And so it's like every other sense truly became stronger and I got to explore like, it's almost like my intuition became a much greater sense, like much more tangible in the way that taste is tangible. 100%. It would have to like, I, I just keep thinking, um, I was, oh, that was you. Okay. Yeah. I was just thinking like, um, uh, how the, how did you not trip over stuff or bump your head into something or like how did like a freaking like cave rat not like jump at you? <laughs> like I yes. just want to know so like that, so how, how did all, how did you avoid these things? So all of those uh, have sent offshoots of thoughts, but first the, the, the rat thing, right? I'm, I've watched every horror film there is to watch on this planet. And so I'm in there. I'm like, there's going to be some demonic creature that obviously the producers didn't see and it's going to just eat me when I'm like sleeping. Right. And so like, I had a lot of fear about like bugs, spiders, bats, you know, like crazy deranged psychopathic people who might be down there. Um, because there's no people down there with me. I mean, there are, there are people somewhere. Right. Cause I, I, there's other contestants on the show. Um, but what if someone snuck in like these, this cave system I know is huge. And so there's no way that the, the production crew has like gone through every single corridor and found everything. I just know that. And so I had a lot of fear in that, not only about like my own behavior, but just like what I would find down there. And so I was feeling very like overwhelmed with those thoughts. But then like I had another thought that kind of trumped everything else that was just like, you can sit here and worry about all of the potential things that could go wrong or you could, could encounter, or you could just take a step. Or you can just take another step and then just like kind of like putting all of those things at bay and then being like, okay, if a crazy demonic creature really is going to be there, then Sarah, you'll just deal with it when it happens, you know, but like on a, in a more like realistic standpoint, like if there's like a, spy, a poisonous spider, for instance, 
um, then if that thing crawls onto me and bites me, then I will have to deal with it when it happens. But I can't sit here and worry about every single potential thing that could go wrong. Um, and so it just became like a really beautiful moment of just like being ultimately present and having the confidence and faith in myself that I would be able to deal with any situation that, that came up. And so that was pretty cool. But I mean, in That's terms of like amazing. navigation. <laughs> I just feel like I can learn a lot from that. And I'm like, sometimes when I feel stuck or like I can't move forward, I'm like, yeah, okay, you can worry or just take one freaking step forward, you know? That, yeah, that's so intense. Okay, keep going. Yeah. I want to hear more. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, um, you know, in terms of navigation, it was incredibly difficult. It was really hard. It was so hard. Like, you think that you're like, yeah, like, I can't see, but like, I can feel around and I can remember, but disorientation is real. I'm an extremely, like, I'm smart, like, when it comes to being out, out into the wilderness and, like, remembering exactly where I was and where I came. And so when it came time to, like, navigate, I, you know, I'd be like, okay, so I'm going to walk and then I'm going to, like, feel the walls and, like, whenever there's, like, a way to turn, like, I'll just turn. I'll just, I'm just going to randomly explore. And so I'd be like, okay, I took a right and then I took a left and then I took a right and then I went straight and then there was a bigger room and then I went to this direction and so, like, I would try to remember all those steps in my mind, but then I quickly realized that, like, if I just, like, turn around once, it's – you completely lose all sense of orientation, like, immediately. You're like, wait, was it this way or – wait, was it this way? And so, like, you have no idea where you came from. You have no idea. And the thing, too, it's, like, you think that maybe there was only one right, but maybe there was a second right. And so, like, when you're on the way back, you take a different path on accident because not everything is so geometric and perfect. Um, and so I was like, okay, that's clearly not working. And so I had paracord with me. And so I would find like, like a, maybe like a pointy part of like a rock and I would do what I could to like tie off on it. Almost like I'm an astronaut, like going out and exploring and coming back. And so I would tie off and that would be like my lifeline. And then I would go and, and explore and try to like memorize the shape of like where I was based off of that. But then every time I came back to it, like the paracord had fallen. And so I'm like, I know I tied that really well. And so I was in my mind, I'm like, okay, are these producers like messing with me? Are they like untying it to like just make me crazy to see what happened? And so I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and so there was all that. And then I'm like, okay, that's also clearly not working. And so then I decided to like get small, even more small. And so like um, the ground was hard, but it, was, it, but it wasn't rock. It was like really firm dirt. And so I found like a rock and then I started, I realized that I could like make like indentations in the ground. And so from there I was like, okay, I'm going to just work muscle memory here. And so I could get a sense of like this room that I was in, like a very loose term room. Like I knew that it was like kind of like, like a circle, like, like an oval and like it had different like entrances and exits. And so I was like, I'm just going to pick one and then I'm going to go as far as I can until there's another move to make. And then I would come back and then I would, I drew on the ground, the shape of the room and I would draw my path in the ground, like almost like a relief map. And so I would go and I'm like, okay, so here I can turn left, but then I can also go straight. So I'd come back to my room, find the map and then draw that on the map being like, okay, draw a line a little bit further, like in, indicating that I could go this way, draw a line that I could go this way. And so I just continued that for hours and then had a like a little bit more each time and I could come back because it was just so mess muscle memory to go and come back, go and come back, go and come back. 
Um, and then it was on, like, I was to the furthest point that I'd ever been. And then I heard someone like whooping. It was like a whoop, whoop. We're like, I don't know. This is some kind of like human noise. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I think that's an actual person. And then, so like, I was able to communicate and it was a person. And then it was another contestant, like had been dropped off, like at another part of the, not another part of the cave. And so like, we found a way to like navigate to each other. And um, he introduced himself and he's like, hey, I'm Trey and I'm a caver. And I'm like, yes, you're a caver? What do you mean you're a caver? Like, are you kidding me? Like, of all the people in the entire world, like, you meet down here and met a caver? Fuck yeah, let's go. And so, like, I was so excited because, like, I don't know jack about caves. And then, like, I didn't even know that I was going to be in a cave when I arrived. I didn't know if it was going to be like a mine shaft. I just knew that it was going to be dark. Like, it could have been a room. It could have been like a room with padded walls. I had no idea. And so, I wasn't really able to, like, research too much about, like, where I was going or what it was or anything. So, when I found out he was a caver, I'm just like, dude, we got this. Game over. We're, we're, we've won. Um, and so getting to know him was also one of these like extremely beautiful life lessons because, and in such a random scenario too, because it's like, how often would you ever meet someone physically in person without being able to see them and not like the love is blind TV show, like behind a scrim, you know, it's like, I could like, I would try to like make up like how I thought he looked. I didn't ask him directly. I never really asked him too many questions about his physical appearance. We immediately started to work together to get out of the cave. Um, and he had so much knowledge. He's like, okay, we've got to find like the airflow and like we've got to find the vein of the cave. And we've got to like trust that we can use Whoa. like find, find like, a small crawl space. And, like there's at one point where we did a 150 foot crawl space that was so small that I had to take my backpack off and push it and just trust that I wouldn't like get caved in on. Like it was like, the scariest shit ever. <laughs> um, but being like meeting somebody in that scenario and like having to bond with them immediately and to not see him, like he would say things now and then about his appearance. He'd be like, Oh, my hair is caught in my belt loop. And so I knew he had long hair or he would say something like, Oh yeah, like my back tooth is missing. And so like, I was like, kind of like building this image of this person he had a he, he had a, a big voice huge vibrato and it was coming from above me so I could tell he was tall I thought he was like gonna be like big poofy chested and like I could like hear his expressions like when he was upset or not upset like I got to know this person intimately without ever seeing him and there was at one point where um so he had been a chain smoker since he was like 15 all the way up until that moment. And I believe he's like in his late forties. And so he stopped smoking cigarettes going into the cave. And so he was like going through withdrawals. And so he was experiencing oh, of anger, but it also it was like all those things. And so there's at one point where um, we had to essentially like chimney up like this, like a climb. And so like he went first and he like, almost like he like almost lost his shit. Cause he didn't know like how much ground was beneath him. Like if he were to fall, and so he just, you know, went crazy. And then like, I kind of just like crawled up, like just fine after him. Cause I love climbing. And so it was actually kind of fun and easy for me. But in that moment, he just started shouting. He like, at, at whoever was listening, I don't know. He was like, y'all are trying to get us killed just for ratings, you know? And I like, guess he went insane. And so like, I saw every part of this individual and, but I didn't see him. Right. And, um, spoiler alert, we did get out of the cave before six days, but coming out of the cave and seeing the light, I saw him for the first time and he was so different than what I, the image that I had built of him in my mind. And it was so interesting because I was so happy to be so wrong because it was just like this weird, like lesson in like the judgments we make towards people and how they look. 
you know, and it's, it's not, we can't really blame ourselves too much because like our vision is how we judge just for survival. You know, like we look around to see the world around us and like we, we can accurately make certain assumptions about certain looks, but it was just such this beautiful experience of just like being so wrong about it and then being just so happy and like just truly getting to know someone without their physicality first, without any kind of bias at all in any way, shape or form. And it was beautiful. It was so awesome. And so I'm, I'm still in connection with him, but like that, that experience to me was like one of the best parts of it. Cause I was like, when else would I have gotten that experience? You know, regardless of the cave and survival and all the crazy shit that happened in the cave, like just that in and of itself is beautiful. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. There's so I'm so blown much. away <laughs> by this story. Oh my God. Like I have no words. This is like, it's such yeah. an, a unique experience. And like, I, I mean, that's such a beautiful story about meeting him. And yeah, I, I, I have no words. How did it, how did it um, come across on the discovery channel? Like, did you end up watching it? I did watch it. Um, and it was, you know, not, they, they had gold and they didn't do it justice for sure. You know, because I don't think that because none of the people who made the show actually went through the experience. And so I don't think that there was like any one person who like understood the the goal that they had psychologically of what these people were experiencing and how to accurately portray it. You know, they they went like the standard adventure, like a reality TV show way where it's like they, of course, took his freak out and they made it look like I was like a scared little person. And, then you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So like they just like went this like very stereotypical ABC formula that just truly didn't get into the beauty of what was what we were experiencing or even the psychological effects, too, because like, you know, the only time that like I actually knew I was like weirdly like asleep is when I would when I would dream. And like the only time I could see was when I was dreaming. Whoa. And so like there's like like there's at one point where like I kind of started to like hallucinate a little bit. Like and I don't know, like, there's just there was just a lot of really unique things that were happening psychologically too that they didn't even touch on because they were interested in like the drama for the TV and, and that kind of stuff. So I feel like they missed the mark. And I think that's also why there's only one season of the show and I'm like, they had something. And honestly, like if they go back with the footage, they could probably do something really cool with it, but What's it? What's the name it. of the I'm show? Fine with that. I'm totally fine with that because you know I don't care how it was presented at all to the world because the experience that I got was so rich. I feel like I'm the one who walked away yeah. with the most benefit from everyone who worked on that show. I'm like, I got so much goodness from it, um, and it really gave me a lot of confidence too that I was able to because I stepped up so like self conscious. I stepped I stepped up so scared. But then I was rewarded with these yeah. beautiful experiences and lessons, and then also just like a lot of like self empowerment too. It was awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Is what's the show called? The Cave. Uh, it's called Darkness. Darkness. You know, it's yeah. funny. A long time ago, I actually got. I think it was the Discovery Channel, but I got a phone call. And I don't know why they thought of me for this. I literally could not tell you because I don't think that I sound like this person, but they wanted somebody for this show called The Raft. And apparently you're stuck on a raft in the middle of the ocean for seven days with no food or water <laughs> and you have to survive. Yeah. Okay. And I, they wanted me to audition for the show. And I'm like sitting there like actually thinking about it. I was like, maybe I should do this because I love adventure too. And I also like to push myself Boy. and kind of see like, could I actually survive? And like, I love kind of proving to myself that like, yes, I could do this. 
But at the same time, I was like, well, first of all, how much are you going to pay me? (laughs) They were like, "Uh, not much. And so I'm like, okay, so I really have to be in this for the experience. And I thought about it. I was like, like, how would I take a shit? Like, would I have to hang off the side of the (laughs) boat and poop in the water on camera in front of this other person that I'm stuck on the raft with? So that was like one thing that I was like, I don't know about that. And then like the other thing I was like, girl, you're going to get like, you could get like skin damage from being in the fucking sun. And like, of course, they're going to stick you <laughs> on this raft with like the most annoying opposite person than you if, of all time. But I think they wanted me, me to be like the epitome of like a yoga teacher. Like I could survive off of meditation and breath work. And like, that's kind of like the person they wanted me to be. Um, but I ended up yeah. like turning it down. Yeah. I was like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> Not today. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, you just have to be ready for those experiences when they come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if those experiences show up very often. <laughs> I feel like that's like a <laughs> once once in a lifetime thing, and probably not many people <laughs> out there have any sort of story like that, but you. So yeah, that's that's yeah, pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> so let's switch gears. I I've been waiting this whole time <laughs> since you got back to hear about Denali. And before diving into Denali, uh, I would love it if you could tell um, my listeners what Denali is and why it's such a big deal. Um, because I had a friend who was potentially going to go. I think maybe with you guys, but. Um, uh, he was like, it's very similar to like Mount Everest. Like it's it's also one of the hardest mountains to climb in the world. And then I ended up watching the movie Everest and I was like, what? You're going to climb that? Like, oh my God, you're going to die. Like, is this a joke? You could climb over like crevasses, which I didn't even know what a crevasse was. And it's a big ass fucking hole filled with ice. And it that, I will say this. Of all the adventurous things, like you can stick me in a jungle, I don't care, but stick me in a in a freaking hole of ice and like my world will end. Like I just don't want that for myself. So I would love <laughs> if you could break down exactly what Denali is, what made you want to go there, and how how the journey went from beginning to end. Yeah, so Denali um, is a mountain in the Alaska range in Denali National Park, Alaska. It sits over just over 20,000 feet. Um, It is one of the seven summits of the world. So it's the tallest mountain in North America. And it's one of the third most isolated mountains in the entire world after Everest. Whoa. Um, So uh, in like a comparison level, uh, if it's 20,000 feet, how tall is Everest? um, Everest, I believe, is 26. Google it. Um, it's 29. It's 29. 29. Okay. So that's, I mean, it's pretty, pretty similar. Yeah. I mean, Everest is definitely next level for sure. But the thing that makes um, Denali also difficult is that it sits near the Arctic Circle, whereas Everest oh, is so closer to the equator. Extra freezing. <laughs> extra cold, extra dry. We actually had one guy on the trip who was checking temperatures on Everest while we were on Denali, and Denali was always colder. Whoa. So it's cold. There's a lot of people who climb in the Himalayas and say that um, the Alaska range is more difficult 
just in terms of the air, um, the elevation, all of that. And so um, I actually didn't know that going into it. <laughs> and so when I was up there, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Let's, let's again, like so a lot of these life experiences, it's just like, all right, here we are, let's go. Um, but in terms of, so, and also what makes it difficult is like, it's just, it's, it's extremely hard to get to. You know, you have to like fly into Anchorage and then you have to take a bus to a small town called Telkitna. And then you have to take a five seat plane, 40, like 40 minutes to be dropped off to the start on the glacier. And so it's incredibly, it's, it's, it's a commitment. And then once you're Wait, there, hold on, hold on, hold on, pause really quick, pause really quick. I have this little puppy that I'm dog sitting. That's like having a dream right now. And he's like having like little barks. So I just want to like wake him up so he doesn't interrupt you. Totally. Hi. Wake up. I don't know if that worked, but that was really cute. Okay, so getting to Denali is a freaking trek, and yeah. you take all of the things and, to get there. And and yeah. who was your crew? And, who was your crew that you went with? So I went with my best friend and my aunt named Austin, who's also the co-founder of the company that I started, Adventure Fit. And so the two of us were like a mini team, and then we went, went with three other people. Um, one of them is the founder of the Morning Chalk Up. So if you follow CrossFit, it's kind of a big deal. He's uh, Morning Chalk Up is CrossFit news, essentially. And so he's the founder of that. And then two other guys, one named Igor and one named um, Jerome. And so all three of them had climbed. So you were with before. all men. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. We're going to dive into that, too. So I'm sure that might have played a little bit of a part or something. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And it, how the entire trip kind of came to be was actually pretty cool because I have done mountaineering before, definitely nothing to that level, but I've climbed a lot of local mountains and in the Cascades and here in the Sierras, and so mountaineering I'm familiar with, and it's definitely a passion of mine. And so, but I just didn't think it'd be so soon that I would get to climb something as amazing as Denali. Um, but when COVID hit and the world shut down. Um, I had this like intuition to just go as hard as I could with my personal training. And I've always kind of been on and off with being in the gym. Like I always go to the gym, but I haven't, I hadn't been training. I had just been like exercising, but I hadn't been training for anything. And so when that everything shut down, I was like, Sarah, like there's something coming up. I don't know what it is, but just physically get ready. And so I had a good friend at the gym who was very kind to me and basically started programming for me to, to be successful in more mountainous environments. And so I would work out for almost two and a half hours, five days a week, just blindly, just because I just had a feeling like something was coming and I just wanted to be ready for it. And then in January of this year, um, well, actually, let me rewind. In December, um, Justin, the CEO of Morning Chalk Up, somehow found Adventure Fit on Instagram. And I didn't know this person at all. And then so he reached out to Austin because Austin's also a CrossFit coach. So they had this like connection. And Justin's like, hey, like it's not often you find mountaineers in Southern California. And so you and Sarah, like you should come with me and my friends on a trip. And so we're like, okay, let's go. And so we all, all of us planned a trip in December. Um, but the other guys, Igor and Jerome ended up not coming on that trip because they work on sets and one of them had like a COVID scare. So it ended up just being me, Justin and Austin. And so the three of us went 
and we did our thing. We did a, we did a mountain in the Sierras in the winter, which was also pretty harsh. Um, but we got to know him and the whole time he was like, you got to meet my friend Igor. You got to meet my friend Igor. And we're like, cool, great, let's go. And then, so in January, um, all of them were in Las Vegas and I also happened to be in Las Vegas cause that's where I'm from. And so I met up with them and it was on that night that I met Igor and he was like, how do you feel about Denali? And I'm like, what do you mean how I feel about it? He's like, do you want to climb it? And I was just like, yes, let's go. And then so without much like vetting or anything, which could have been, you know, bad on both of our parts, maybe we should have done a little bit more research. Okay, we got kicked we offline went. for a sec, um, but, um, but I had found go ahead my and way finish what you were saying about how do you feel about climbing Denali and you were like, hell yes. <laughs> expedition on Denali, which was happening in just like three months. And um, because of the physical training that I was doing and because I was already doing so many outdoor experiences – I was able to say yes. And as soon as that happened, I was like, this is the thing that I knew was coming. This is, um, this is the experience that I intuitively knew was happening. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And so as soon as like he asked me, I was like, I know this is the thing that I knew was coming. Like it felt right. I was like, I knew I wanted to train for some kind of mountain or whatever. And then this is it. People train their whole lives to do something like Denali. And the fact that I was able to say yes with very, very little like time, like it was three (laughs) months away at this point, which is like crazy and unheard of. (laughs) And so the fact that I was just able to say yes to something like that was incredible. Um, you know, if you're to climb pretty, Denali totally guided, in a it's a very expensive situation, though, right? <laughs> it's minimum $10,000. And that's not including time away from your job. That's not including yeah. travel. <laughs> it's not including like hotels and stays on either end or food or anything. Um, and so to go unguided, it's incredibly affordable. You know, it's like you don't, you don't, you don't pay a guide. You don't have to worry about so many different things. And so all in all, I think I only ended up spending – I mean, yeah, 100%. You don't have, you know, five like professional guides like holding your hand the whole way, making you hot tea, telling you you're pretty. I'm just kidding, <laughs> you know. Um, but like you don't you don't you don't have that. You don't have that like hand holding, you know. It's like <laughs> Oh, like, wait, shit. wait. How how how's, how's how's my skin? Yeah. Um, exactly. No, you don't have any of that, but I was fine with that. Like I, I definitely enjoy guided experiences just because I enjoy getting to know people who know mountains really well. And I have fun, you know, like with people who are super experienced. Um, but I was absolutely open to the idea of doing it unguided, but which is also kind of crazy because Igor, the, our unofficial leader had been on the mountain three, uh, two times, both unsuccessful. He himself had gone on the guided, guided trip and then they didn't make it. And so he went back a year later with two of his friends and they went very early on in the season when the conditions were horrible. And so he, they didn't make it that time. And so he's like, I'm going back for a third attempt. And so he knew um, a lot of the logistics on the mountain because Denali is a very like logistics no. heavy mountain for sure. Because when no, you climb Denali, you climb it twice. <gasps> and what I mean I by that this. is like, like you have God. with you over 120 pounds of gear because you have food for almost a month and you have, you know, like you have to have so much gear. Like you have to have like heavy climbing gear. 
like crampons and ice axes. And like, so because of everything that you have, you split it up between a backpack and a sled. And so you, you're pulling a sled behind you and carrying a heavy pack. And so, um, and that you also have to be like tied together by a rope because at any point, especially on the lower mountain, one person from your team could fall into a crevasse, which is an opening in the glacier. And um, with all of your heavy, heavy gear. And so like, you have to <laughs> totally like at, at any second, at any second. And so it's extremely dangerous. And it's also like, you feel like a turtle because like you're going slow and you're heavy and it's just like, you're, you're just weighed down so much. It's crazy. Um, but the thing is like logistics wise, like you have to know, like, I don't know, you just have to know so much, like how to rig a sled, how to, um, navigate the mountain, where to camp, you know, there's just so many things. And so there's a lot that Igor inherently knew because he'd been up the mountain before. And so in a way, like, I felt like I, I had like a, a resource of knowledge within, within him. Um, of course, did all my own research, but it's just nice to be with someone mm -hmm. who like had been up there before. Um, so, but we were all in charge of like, you know, cooking our own food, setting up our camp, like caring for ourselves for sure. Um, but his knowledge was extremely, extremely valuable. Um, and then, you know, so climbing what? the mountain twice, when we, when we landed on the glacier, we had all of our gear with us and we immediately bury in the snow a couple days worth of food. Did you guys, that way, like, we, when we come back to base camp at the did very you guys end, whim hop your way up that mountain storm or and like, the pilot can't come in, did like, you, we'll have did you use breath work at all? Like, I don't and know. So in my brain, it's I'm impossible like, to carry. I don't like understand how this is possible. Like, in that, that capacity. Like, yeah. Up, how, like yeah. Super anyway. steep. Did you whim hop your way up this mountain? So we'd have to break everything up and do things twice. And so we would get ourselves to a camp location, set up camp. And then the next day we would take the food and supplies for the upper mountain up the next <laughs> section, bury it, and then come back down to camp. And then the next day, break down camp and then bring the rest. And so you essentially have to do oh. everything twice, except the summit and then the very first part. And so that's also what makes it arduous. Um, What's so for me personally, state? I I am very conscious and aware of my breath, and so I mean I don't want to like overemphasize like Wim Hof by any means, but but absolutely, like paying attention to your breath is important. You know, like I like you have to get into a rhythm. It's like every single step hurts, mm -hmm. especially like the higher up on the mountain that you get. Like you're in altitudes that humans are not designed to live in. You're just not, and so like there's a lack of oxygen in the air. And so you have that carbon dioxide build up in your body. And so you achieve these like hypoxic states extremely easy. And so that's one thing that I did to train for the mountain was to put myself in a hypoxic state as often as I could. So that way my body would be able to handle the, the amount of CO2. That oh was my God. My okay, I'm going to have you break that. And so that was something that I did that at point, low, at But low I do want to ask you. So um, that just essentially means that two things you actually have more so carbon dioxide one, in your body than once oxygen. you take all the like, and so in that state, like, like your lips could turn blue, you, you know, like your, your cells aren't getting where you what like, they put need, your pack on so your body can shut down. How um, that's long when, like, were you sickness really, and your like, group in, hiking results in, like, for it manifests itself in so many different ways to the point like, where you started to the point where you ended? Like how, how long was it? As severe as like 
for instance, Straight. high altitude pulmonary edema, which is Holy I experienced when I was shit, on the mountain, girl. which actually doesn't necessarily have to do days with straight. Um, your current state, although that in itself does make you even more <laughs> hypoxic. Like, no kidding. Um, it's something like, yeah, no, you like, can't just <laughs> climb up that thing. It is a whole situation. That is yeah. really crazy. Um, okay, I'll, actually, I'll just let you keep going because I'll ask more questions as we go. So – so you got your pack on, you're heavy as a freaking turtle, you're breathing your way up this mountain one step at a time. Did anybody fall into a crevasse? Because that might, might be my worst fear of all time. Totally. It was 21 days. Yeah. Takes a long time to climb the tallest mountain in the, on, the, on the continent. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, and that's a very extremely valid fear, but we somehow got extremely lucky and we did not have any crevasse falls, which is kind of unheard of. Like, even on the same day, like, we did see other teams up there and, like, teams coming down as we were going up and, like, people would come down just looking like like they had just gotten back from war, you know? And we'd ask them, like, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? Like, and, what happened? And they're covered and in be like, snow, we had a really right? Bad like, fall. you can't see the crevasse. So, so it's like, like you're climbing, we were climbing, stepping, stepping on what you think is powdered where, where snow, but it actually could like, be a cliff. Have a fall. And so, like, we have to be extremely prepared and extremely, like, aware. Because the thing is, like, when someone, if you or someone around you falls, the other people have to catch you. And so, like, it, you're all connected by rope. So if one person from the middle of the team falls the two people on either side have to like, oh God. dig themselves into the snow to catch them because some of these crevasses are like hundreds of feet deep and so but some of them are not some of them you'll fall into your knees but some of them could fall to like an endless bottomless pit and if you're and if you know you don't catch them then you could all fall and so it's kind of this like crazy thing Exactly. And then, or, or a snow bridge, which is like a little bridge created from the snow that for the person in front of you, like they step on it and it's okay. And so you step on it and it's okay. The third person steps on it and it's okay. And the last person steps on it and it breaks. And then the last person falls in and not only do they fall in, but their sled, which is also like up to a hundred pounds falls in on top of them. And so that's a lot of weight, you know, pulling. And so that's so crazy. You, have to, you know, stop their fall. And then you have to find wow. a way to pull them out. And then so something that I had to learn, you know, over the last couple of years, because I've done more glaciated peaks before Denali, was just crevasse rescue. It's like, how do I, someone who's 140 <laughs> pounds, pull someone who is 200 pounds plus 70 pound pack plus 100 pound sled? How do I pull them out? Totally, and so I had totally. to learn how to use different climbing tools to be able to create mechanical advantage to be able to pull them out with like a pulley system, you know, to be able to do like... I don't know, like five to one mechanical advantage to essentially be able to pull them out. So that way when I pull once, it's like five times of, of a single pull 
to be able to get them out. Girl, if the zombie apocalypse so happens, I am coming after you to fu- yeah. like figure out where you're at. <laughs> like, we I can survive this thing to together. It's like I will learn oh, all the things from you. It's like, no, I have to stay I, here. Like, I think with, I like, need a climbing rope. And I need to go take some like, like survival like, courses. Not like, ten, but tomorrow to learn how to like pretend to pull somebody out. I'm <laughs> just like yeah. just prepping for it was really interesting for sure. Yeah, but we were super lucky. We didn't have any falls, but I did feel completely prepared to save somebody um, had they fallen. And then I felt prepared too. Like if I had fallen, but they couldn't pull me out, like I know how to ascend a rope. I know, I don't know. I just felt prepared to handle any kind of scenario that would have been thrown at me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just fun. It's, it's creative. You know, you have to use your brain in in a different way. It's like creative and logical at the same time. It like marries both of these worlds together. um, So did you guys end up in like, any like, I talk a lot about like, creativity and just a lot of different things that I do. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a painter. I'm not creative. And I'm like, no, creativity extends far beyond a paintbrush. That's like, that's like one expression of it. But to like to be in a scenario and to only have a certain like a backpack full of tools and to find yourself in a dire situation, you have to get creative. You have to use what you have around you to, to fix whatever it is that you're experiencing. And there's something really beautiful about that particular scenario that I'm always drawn to like the unknown is scary and I I, oh. I ask for it but then when it happens I'm like oh I don't know if I really want oh my this. god um but to be able to get yourself out of those situations I think is an incredible skill to have I think it's what's in your mind too definitely yeah um there there was you know several at several points where How did like you the, not the temperatures die? dipped down to like I would say pretty much the entire time on the upper mountain, it, it was below zero the entire time. And then there were certain times like when the wind would pick up or closer to the summit where it was negative 30 degrees. And oh, so shit. there was, it was freezing temperatures the whole time. And then um, the winds were awful. You know, there was at one point where the winds were up to 70 miles per hour. And so like you're in your tent and like you have like this, like, super false sense of security of this nylon, this super thin piece of nylon is going to like wow. save you How was it like being you the and the elements. There. Like, um, there's like this low level of like stress and fear pretty much the entire time. Because if you're walking, you can fall into a crevasse. Like, <laughs> and like being like in the tent at night too, like the wind was so loud that like, I, I, I would play what this game with myself. That. I'm like, is it wind or an avalanche? <laughs> And then I would like just be sitting there praying that it wasn't an avalanche. Um, so it was so loud and it shook the ground and like it was just so crazy the entire time. Like you are not you are not safe until you are off the mountain. There's always something that can kind of be going wrong. And so like just like learning to deal with that like low level stress was also something too. Definitely. Um, it was really hard. I didn't expect that. Like one question that I got when I came back was like, what's the one thing that you didn't expect um, or you weren't prepared for? And uh, my answer to that was like the male ego. One hundred percent. It was uh, it was it was extremely challenging. And also, I think because like the people that I went with, you know, they had just met me for the first time. They don't know like who I am and what I'm capable of. And 
and um, the resilience that I have in certain situations and the ability that I have to just kind of like keep going when it gets tough. And so right away, like they definitely were more experienced with me, but I would not call myself inexperienced. Um, but because because there was that there was just this like there was always this thing that like I wasn't as good as everybody else in the group. And I would hear them like, make comments about other people all the time. And, and so like, that would reveal the, the way that they think. Like one of their best friends, who's a female, is going to be doing like an all, all female Denali ascent next year. And like this is like one of their good friends and climbing partner. And like they would just like very seriously say things like, oh, well, did you know, that's probably not going to work out because I don't think that they know that just because they're women, like the weight doesn't change. Wait, wait, wait or, hold on, pause really you know, quick. Maybe I'll volunteer to help them. You guys summited. They realize like how hard it's going to be. You know, like, and I was like, hey, sorry, if, you if it was a group that of so men, fast. Just, like, I was like, I no need to, like, I have to celebrate this because I've been on the and edge so, of like, my I could seat just this whole fucking time. Like, their bias and you were like, yeah, and then we made it to the top of then. I was like, wait, women. and I'm like, okay, cool. So, <laughs> okay, here I am, so you guys like, summited, you guys, but you technically don't just, like, summit, summit until you come back down. And then, because like, there, there was a point at which, okay, so you summit, but we did summit and summit and still die, basically. And then coming down for the summit, like, I could tell. Okay, so then what happened? body something, something was wasn't wrong. right something was very wrong <laughs> and I didn't know what it was but like when it, when it comes to being on a team in the wilderness like anytime that you are experiencing <laughs> yeah we did let me just go over that <laughs> yeah No, I mean, you summit. You, you get up there. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, you have to come back to it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, something definitely wasn't right. And like, I started to voice it, you know, because like when you're in a wilderness scenario, you need to tell people what you're experiencing. If you have a headache, you should tell everybody in your team. Like if you're feeling dehydrated, you should let everybody know. It's just a way to like monitor each other and like to keep each other like to help look at, look out for one another because all of those things like may be small in the beginning, but they build up. And if all of a sudden someone passes out and like you had no idea about any of their symptoms, like that's not good. Like you look out for your team, you know, because sometimes like we don't look out for ourselves. And I think we all understand that we look out for people that we care about more. Um, but like, you have to just like be on it with your team because like, if something goes wrong with someone too, like in that environment, like you have to like figure out rescue, you have to figure out just so many different things. And so keeping everybody like completely apprised of like where you're at is important. And so I was doing that. I was like, Hey guys, like I'm extremely dehydrated, like beyond normal dehydration and something's really not right with me. And then I was just met <laughs> with like standard, like, oh, well, we're, we're almost there. Or like, ah, you know, just like, you know, like we can't stop. Like, we just need to keep going. You know, it's like, are we going to take all day to get down? Like, are we going to take 12 hours? You know, like when I, when I wanted to like, like stop for one time for five minutes, drink water met with like, oh, are we going to take 12 hours to get down or, 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 or what? And I'm like, uh, if you want me to do the entire descent to our high camp in in one push, I need a five minute break to drink water. And so it like kind of like became this like point of tension in the group because I was like asking for something that I needed and it wasn't a lot. It wasn't asking for a lot. Um, and then at the same time, I was also like, something's not right. No. At this point, you know, we're at 20,000 feet, which is like the highest elevation I've ever been to. And so I have no idea how my body's going to react. 
Um, and then, so we kind of get through like the summit day, which is a very long day. We get back to our high camp at 11 PM, um, which the cool thing about being in Alaska in the summer is that it's constantly light. And so it's 11 PM, but it's like really beautiful golden lighting out. It's actually stunning, but I'm like, I'm beside myself. Something's really wrong in my body. Like I can barely make it back to camp. Like I'm having to stop and be like, I like some, like my body's just not functioning. Something's super wrong. And then like, I can just hear like the guys in the back, just like, come on, let's go. It's literally right there. Like, what's wrong with you? Let's, let's go. And I'm like, I don't know. Like if somebody else, if something else on the team was experiencing this, like you would be nicer. Like there's, there's something going wrong. Or, like, I promise you, I'm not just like a weak person. Like something's seriously going wrong. And then we eventually like get back to camp and then, um, nobody talks like I understand like it's difficult for everyone um but so they go like three three guys go in their tent and then I'm sharing a tent with Austin like I can't even like take off my gear like there was a guy from across the way who came over and was like hey do you need help so he saw me struggling to take my crampons off and I could barely even do that and I was like yes please and then so I'm just like so like unbelievably dehydrated too and so like I'm trying to drink I don't have any water to drink. And so me and Austin, we're trying to like start the process. It's like an hour long process to get water from melting snow, like setting up the stove and that, and that sort of thing. And then, so like, I just like lay down in the tent and I cannot life. I cannot like, I don't know, just something is like seriously, like very, very wrong besides like to the point of like, besides like normal exhaustion. And so Austin continues to like boil water. And then um, I start to like, feel like my lungs like something happening in my lungs and then I realize like my lungs are filling with fluid and I'm like okay I start like wheezing like deep deep gurgly wheezing um and then to the point where it's like I'm like wheezing wheezing and then like I'm coughing but I'm like coughing up like some kind of like liquid or like this like sputnum I think is what they call it um And then it's really incredibly hard to breathe. And like any time that like I make a movement, I'm extremely out of breath because at that point there's only 50% of the normal amount of oxygen in the air. And on top of that, like my lung capacity is decreasing, decreasing, decreasing. So it's becoming incredibly difficult to, if not impossible to breathe. And so I'm like, Oh Oh my God, something's very wrong. And so in my mind, I'm like, what is it? What is it? What is it? Searching my brain. So I don't have Google. Like I don't have service. I don't have like, Hey, Hey Jeeves, what's going on? Like what, what is this medical condition? Um, but the one thing that I always do before I go on to a trip without service is to write down every possible medical condition that can potentially happen when I'm on the, like when I'm in the environment. And so, um, I wrote down like all these different things about like that could go wrong. And then I was like evaluating my symptoms, realizing like, like my lips were purple. I couldn't move. Like my, I was wheezing. Um, I realized that I have pulmonary edema, which is essentially pneumonia in, in your lungs. And it's, in, it's caused by the altitude. Um, but the thing about these types of things is that it, there's, there's no precursor. It doesn't matter like how in shape you are. It doesn't matter how many times you've been in the mountain. It, it happens so randomly. So it's like one of the things that science doesn't know, which what is crazy. What was Austin doing? Um, and I, in, in my head, like I had heard a story a week before this about a guide who had been on the mountain for 10 years was flown off the mountain earlier that week for what experiencing what I was experiencing and for less symptoms. And so I'm sitting there like as my lungs are filling with fluid and I'm like, Oh my God, it's happening. This is hate. I know it. I know it's hate. High altitude pulmonary edema. I'm like, Fuck. and so like, I'm kind of freaking out because 
um, of all the forms of altitude sickness, hape is the most deadly. And so I, I, as I realize what's happening, I'm like, okay. Okay, quick, and like, quick I'm question just like coughing before you like go crazy on. And like, do you I'm trying think to that like, and like I'm kind of like say like the group that you mind. were with had um, listened to you, but then I realized like, before when you were like something's not right. Nobody knew what and they to had do. Do, like, like he what could they have do. done like, and would it have to make me water because I was like telling him how like Thursday I was, but. As soon as I started to drink the water, it just like made everything in my lungs worse. And so I was like, I can't drink this water. And so like I'm like in this weird like upturned like tripod position, like half laying down, half up. Because if I lay down, like it's like oh, it's impossible to breathe, like because my comp- chest is compressed. Um, and then so like he didn't know what to do, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to tell him. And so like I'm just sitting there like dying, like seriously. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, Yes. So before we left, we assembled a pretty thorough medical kit and we went to the doctors to get different prescription medications to help with different ailments that we might encounter on the mountain. And one of them is, which was actually really difficult to get a drug called dexamethasone, which is a steroid that will, that essentially like kickstarts all of your organs in your body. Um, and reduces inflammation to help with anything associated with altitude sickness, which is what I was experiencing. And so they had that medicine with them in their tent. Um, and that, that, that medicine is yeah, like exactly the story makes what me want to find needed. them and um, but them down I was and like those in guys. Like, and so, like, I like I wasn't even thinking about that medicine. All how... I was thinking about was like how do I heal myself in this moment? Like how do I get through this? Um, and so and the thing too is like before before I went in my tent, like I went to them and I was like, Hey guys, like right. good night. Like I guess I'll see you in the morning. Like I'm gonna go in here and not feeling good. And like only one of them even responded. <laughs> And so like, again, like I know, like they were, they were, they were experiencing their own thing, but like if the situation was turned, like if one of them was experiencing something and even if I had like a terrible long day, like I would be doing whatever I could for that person. Um, and trying to evaluate. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then even when, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. It was, it's, it's a lot to process too. Um, but at a certain point, like I couldn't, I couldn't be mad or even think about anybody else. Like I just, it was one of these moments where like, I truly, truly, truly just had to go inward. And, um, like I've never really experienced like any kind of like sickness that bad before in my life. Like I'm a very, very healthy mm. individual. And so like, and I believe so much in the power of the mind and I believe so much in the power of the body. And so like, I was just kind of like resting my laurels on those two things. And so, um, I was able to just calm down, you know, and like, that's what I was telling myself, you know, like through, through my breath, through Mm -hmm. my thoughts, I was just like, panic and stress are the two worst things that I could be doing to myself right now. And so I just got extremely, extremely calm. And I was like, it was, it was really, really hard, like to, to only have like maybe 20% lung capacity in an environment that's already devoid of oxygen. It was really hard. And so like, I honestly started crying. I was like, this is so shitty. But then like a light bulb turned on 
because it was through the crying that I was, I discovered the breath pattern that was helping me the most. And it was like these really short, like, <gasps> like these really, really short, shallow sips of air that was able to like get me to feel the most oxygenated. Um, and so like, I like adapted that, that breath pattern and then just kind of like totally snuggled up and then was able to lay down a little bit. Like I've elevated myself a bit. Um, and then I just like closed my eyes, continued with that breath pattern and then just started to talk, think about how amazing my body is. You know, it's like the body wants to heal itself. It will heal itself. Like you just have to get out of its way. And so I was like, how do I get out of its way? I'm like, calm down. Don't stress. Just think like these beautiful thoughts about like, like what it can and can't do. Like, I don't have to do anything. Like in my mind, I'm like, just it will do what it needs to do, what it wants to do. And so like I was able to, I didn't sleep in a wink that night, but I was able to just get extremely calm and then survive off of just like very, very shallow sips of air. So the point where by laying there, um, the coughing and the wheezing was so bad, so bad. But if I just was so still that I didn't have to cough, if I just took those shallow sips of air that I didn't have to cough, and so I was just like in this constant like state of like trying to be still, but trying to give myself exactly what I needed. And then just to be thinking about like, this is it. Like, this is the thick of it. Like, this is the hard part. And just like knowing that. And then like a minute will turn to two and to four to an hour. And then the morning will be here. And then maybe I'll be better. And then so um, I did pass through the thick of it. And then um, like as soon as, you know, it, we were able to get out of tent in the morning because there was like crazy, like 70 mile an hour winds. Um, Austin went over to the other tent and was like, hey guys, Sarah's not doing well. Um, and then just kind of like nothing, nothing from them. And then um, it wasn't until like our friend who wasn't there, who was communicating to us through a satellite device, found out that I was not like well, and she's a nurse. And so she essentially like in reached, um, which is a satellite device that we're all carrying all the three guys. And was like, you guys need to get Sarah that medicine. And then ASAP. go to the hospital and then, after that? you know, when it was convenient for them, they brought over the medicine. Um, and then I was able to take it. And then the next day, um, <laughs> like we had the worst weather in the morning and I was thankful for it because it allowed me to just lay there oh because if it had been perfect weather, I guarantee you and that it would have been like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And have those guys at all like, and explained to them what, how much the that, that, like, that I had and like harmed you emotionally, so mentally, spiritually, physically like by like their lack of so, um, like their complete idiocy and not taking action. And like they call themselves these leaders and these mountaineers and they didn't fucking do anything when it actually came time to do something. But it was just Sorry, like, I'm so angry. <laughs> um, no, because the thing about altitude sickness is that it, it clears itself up when you get out of altitude. And everybody I know told me to go to, go to the hospital after. Um, but I didn't. I did not. Um, I'm okay. Um, but...
No, 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 that's cool. That's cool. Um, you know, I, I've been reflecting a lot on this, you know, because the thing too, it's like on this journey, um, I was sponsored by Sony. And so I was able to like get Sony cameras and to document yeah. it and that kind of stuff. And um, they've actually enlisted me to write articles about them, about things that I've been talking with you today, about some experiences that yeah. I had in Denali too. And it's like, I don't know how to write about the experience, you know, because I don't want it to be, I don't know, like I don't no, want honestly, to, you know, to just sit here and shit talk because like there's lessons too, like for me as well. Like I shouldn't have that medicine on me. Like I shouldn't have the things had that you need to without throwing it. people completely you know, like, there's, under there's the bus. There's definitely certain aspects. Like, like I feel like this shit I does need, need to be like, confronted at some point. Sorry, like, I know this is not my life, but this shit needs to be said to their face or over the phone at least at some point. Lack of and like I know you are very like. Some you are very humble, and sometimes you do downplay team things on the third more. Like we were talking about in the world. very beginning of like, your episode, you that like people, you know you like, would wallflower, you wouldn't speak up, and but so, like for something like this, like just didn't this happen, has to be spoken up about. At least to them, and like yeah, possibly to the fucking world because you don't know who could potentially read that article before they climb a mountain, and because they read what you wrote, they will be a little bit more careful with the people that they're with because of it. Like you don't know how it could affect people. And if the person, if you confront them and the person's just a dick back, then it's like, well, you know what? I already knew you were a dick, but that's fine. Yeah. Hell yes. This could take a while to process. How long ago were you on this mountain? So you've only been back for like two months, really. Oh my God, Sarah. Jesus. I am so thankful you're alive. Like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Like, and I, you know, and I know you learned a lot, but like, holy yeah. crap. I think, that, like, I think that's exactly how it would go, which is why I haven't had those conversations yet, because I don't think that they're capable of, of having that time, that kind of conversation. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll definitely happen at some point for sure. I'm still processing my end of the experience. And I think that's important for me before I, before I approach them about that. But um, so I got back uh, early June. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Totally. You're like in your most vulnerable you could ever be. And for you to be vulnerable physically, mentally, yeah, emotionally, no, I mean, spiritually, I, and then to have like somebody treat like you I, badly I on top of that, it's like, and I, and I, oh God. I'm not like a overly like, unrealistically positive person but like I definitely have a very positive outlook on life and um I'm already drawing like all the lessons from it but like I'm just so proud of myself to be able to not only climb that mountain but to climb it under the circumstances that I did with the the sickness that I had and like the lack of support I had and and, and emotionally completely in some ways in an environment where it's like all you have are the people that you're with and if you don't feel like you're connecting to them like that's the worst place in the world to not feel that and so I don't know like Totally. Yeah. And so like, even like, 
I was even noticing, like, as I was talking to you, like I glazed over the summit, you know, and then um, I was talking to a friend recently about the whole experience. And they're like, it's almost like you are robbed of your summit, like glory, or not even glory, but it's like not even the summit glory, but it's like, not like robbed of like the experience of knowing and feeling that you did good. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it's so true, because because of how I experienced and like the way that I was treated, you know, through my sickness, it made me feel shame. It made me feel like yeah. I was less than. Um, and I do realize like half of that is the way that I totally perceive things and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it, I, it was just uh, one could imagine. I, I definitely came back from that experience. Not, not immediately like being like, Oh my God, I did this amazing thing. I came back feeling like defeated and destroyed. Um, which in some ways is like, it's okay. Like some of these experiences that I have, like I come back feeling like bruised and beaten to the bone. And that's in a way like, why I almost have those experiences is because they like take everything out of you. And in, in, in that emptiness, like you fill that, those voids with, with new perspectives and, and, and new goodness in a way. I mean, I guess you could take it in a different way, but I always, you know, fill it with, with good things in, in a way. And so this one is just taking longer to process for sure. But absolutely incredible. And like to be able to like, photograph like that whole experience as it was unfolding was insane it's like how do you like not only like survive in that situation but like how do you pull your camera out at those like difficult moments and like find a way to like document the experience you know and negative 40 temperatures like 70 mile an hour winds like when you have to take your glove off to like shift a dial on the camera it's like that's one thing that like I value in myself is my ability to like turn on when things get tough and especially creatively um, because like you're in such survival mode, it's like, how do you go out of survival mo- mode and into like that creativity into that? Like, how do I beautifully document like this horror or like this difficulty? But at the same time, it's like, it's so beautiful up there. It's like, it's another world. It's alien. And so it was just, I don't know. It was absolutely insane. And, and it was just like every possible end of the emotional spectrum. Um, but which is why, you know, I have these experiences and, And, you know, maybe I know that particular experience is not for everyone, you know, but there's some experience that is for everyone. And I don't know what that is for the individual, but like, that's kind of like my life motto is just like for everyone to find what it is for them, because it's, it's stepping outside of your comfort zone and into these experiences, especially when you're cradled by nature, um, that can just help you see things in a new way. Like, even though you come back to like your regular life. Like you come back with, I want to cry. Like, thank you so much for coming on this fucking um, like podcast. Your body like, is you're the epitome of, of transformational travel. And you like, know, beyond like the stuff, thank you so much for sharing this story and for being you know, vulnerable to the beautiful, people listening and about, like a opening society, up about like things that are super crazy to open up about. I'm really impressed with you and like Sarah, but like. As You're one of the strongest people I know. You know like so I'm saying, oh my God, like I'm going to start crying. So many forces inside of us that Back are it up a second. Because we don't get to exercise ourselves in these <laughs> we ways. We are going to wrap it up, but like Super duper I... important that we don't forget that. First of all, how can people get a hold of you? We're taught it at some point. (laughs) For the people wanting to see your photography or join Adventure Fit or just get to know (laughs) you and follow your journeys, how can they get a hold of you?
Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to link all of this below. And um, before I ask my last question, and I feel like you really covered it all, <laughs> but do you have any message or thing that you would like to share or impart on everybody who's been listening? Yeah, I mean, I think the immediate answer is Instagram. So my handle is at Sarah Skyann, S-A-R-A-H-S-K-Y-A-N-N. And then um, through there, you'll find um, AdventureFit, which is at AdventureFitLA. Um, that's our website. That's also our handle on pretty much all social media. So through one of those means, follow along the journey and or join our journey as well. <laughs> Hmm. Last question. I agree. I couldn't agree more. I, I feel the same. And I, I need to start saying yes, even more. Because this is like, our one life that we yeah, get. I mean, my here immediate reaction to that is space just, and time. And it's like, in a I want to where you're met with an as much of it that as I possibly seems crazy can. and might require a little bit of you. Okay. To meet Last question. That's what like time are your magical superpowers? Like away from a family or relationship for like a second, but <laughs> you know, in your heart will provide you with some life experience that goes beyond your daily life. Then just say yes, whatever it is. Allow yourself to have that. Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, it's perfect. You gave it all. You gave it all. And you know, I feel like we could have still talked for like another freaking my hour because I bet you have so many more stories that you could are... have shared. I, I was literally just um, thinking about that two to... seconds ago. So, you know, down the road, we're going to have to have you back on and we'll cover read the room. even more of your crazy adventures. The experiences um, that for are now, for me or not. I guess we will and... say... That is because all. of that to be able to allow something that sounds incredibly crazy into my life because some part of me knows that it's meant for me. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even talk about that time I walked across New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much.